are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. Hello everyone, Steve Angel with Traditional Outdoors. This week, in lieu of our normal weekly sponsorship ad for the podcast, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I want to give a big shout out to Compton's Traditional Bow Hunters, and specifically to remind everyone about the uh, big Compton's Traditional Bow Hunters rendezvous taking place in Berrien Springs this, this coming week. So that'll start on Thursday the 13th and run through the 16th. Uh, Traditional Outdoors will have a booth there. I'm doing everything I can to actually have uh, shirts there uh, for you to purchase at the event. Uh, And Nick and I will both be there. I think Nick's planning to have some of his books there for sale as well. Uh, And then on Saturday, uh, I guess that would be the 15th, from 1.30 to 2.30, we're actually going to be recording a podcast live. We are going to be sitting down with Brian Burkhart and Monty Browning. So that'll be a, a, a live recording that you can drop by and listen to as we're recording it, and then it'll be released uh, at a future date. So you don't want to miss that. So be sure to drop by and see us. I'll be at the booth. Nick will be at the booth. Nick's planning to have a few books there if you haven't picked up his book yet, and I'm sure Tom's going to drop by from time to time as well. Now, during that live recording, that's probably going to just be me, Brian, and Monty. Uh, both Nick and Tom are uh, committed to helping with the youth event there at Compton's Traditional Bow Hunters. We were all three signed up, but the slot that we got from Compton's, one of us had to uh, step out of the, the kids' event so that we could do the, the podcast recording. But it should be a lot of fun, so be sure to drop by and see us, and we look forward to seeing all of you there. So until next week, take care. And now on to Mr. Dan Infault. Welcome to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Steve Angel. I'm giving Mr. Nick a night off tonight. We've uh, we both got a, a lot going on. Just seems like this uh, this spring is is just going to be unrelenting. My uh, my youngest daughter graduated from from high school yesterday, um, so it's it's definitely going to be slowing down for me a little bit here. Uh, at least you know she won't be in school and so forth. And now we just have to start prepping for for college so uh, maybe i'll be able to to find some time to get out and do some fly fishing at some point i know uh, nick went out a couple of weeks ago and had some success and we actually have a uh, uh, fly fishing guest uh, back on the show next week um, that i'm pretty excited about i don't want to get into too much of that but you will want to watch for that one it's uh, a great guest and and really the the second passion of mine and nick's both is fly fishing so it should be a great conversation however tonight for our guest i feel like i've i've known this gentleman we were talking before we started uh started recording here and i feel like i've known him for four or five years and it's only like the second or third time we've actually spoken but real excited about it um the first thing is uh he's uh pretty well known in the in the video community at least and i know you've been on several podcasts and and hope you enjoy doing this one with me but welcome to the show mr dan infault the hunting beast how are you dan pretty good thanks for having me on steve man we're i'm, I'm glad to have you it's uh i'll be honest i've been um I've been thinking because as as you and I talked, I mean, the, the core of, of what we tend to talk about a lot here is traditional bow hunting. Um, we, we've had black powder, we've had, uh, we've had water fowlers, but you know, the core of it is traditional bow hunting and, and, uh, traditional values. And I've, I've been wanting to get you on the show for some time now. I was just kind of sitting back waiting. I said, you know, I know the right 
topic will come up, the right subject matter will come up. It'll be a great discussion that uh, forget about the weapons. And, and, you know, overall, the weapon's not a really huge deal to me, but I know a lot of a lot of the listeners of the show are, are diehard traditional bow hunters. Uh, but I did want to find a, a topic that was that was unique that you and I could talk about that you know you you haven't discussed on a, a ton of different podcasts. I'm sure we will end up getting into some deer hunting because that's you know that's really a my number one uh, passion. But um, I think we've got a, a a couple of good good topics that we we could touch on today, and we'll just kind of see how that conversation goes. And I was kind of hinting at you right before we started recording. There was there was something I actually wanted to talk to you about first because it's a it's something that I've always I've always thought about watching some of your videos and never had the chance to just come out and ask you. And I've never heard you actually say, but some of the critter encounters that you have, man, are just <laughs> they're just off the wall. If you didn't if you didn't know better, you would think they were staged, but. I mean, you're some kind of critter whisperer or something. <laughs> What's the deal with the foxes and the possums and the, and the chipmunks? I don't know. I've just always chased down animals since I was a kid, you know. <laughs> Matter of fact, uh, about 20 minutes before you called, uh, I chased down and tried to catch a woodchuck out in the yard, and I had it by the tail, but it slipped out of my hands. <laughs> <laughs> so so how, how many... Uh, how many lacerations have have come from this little? Oh, lobby? I've been bit by just about every critter out there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had a possum lay a finger out open, wide open once, uh, really bad. But uh, you just got to be careful. And I know, like I said, I've seen the. I know I should say you didn't you didn't catch the chipmunk, but the well, technically the chipmunk caught you for just a second. But uh, I was watching, I was watching one of your. Uh, I think it was the 2018 review video that you were doing with uh, Mario and a couple other gentlemen. I can't recall their names off the top of my head, but you were talking about the number of of, of possums that you have actually caught. And <laughs> what was the what was the numbers again? I don't remember what we said. I mean, uh, we were goofing <laughs> off, but uh, man, I must catch 20, 30 of those a year. You know? Uh, yeah. Really. I, there's something in me. It's like a dog. <laughs> He's a cat, you know. I just chase him down and catch him. It's kind of it's kind of hilarious, but yeah, I'm about the only thing that I actually routinely seems like. In fact, we just had a neighbor, my next door neighbor, a couple of weeks ago. I'm sitting in the bed one night. I'm doing something on the computer, and the phone rang, and and she's just. I can hear hysterical screaming coming through the phone, and I didn't know what was going on. I, my wife finally got the words out: snake. Uh, and I must admit, it was a it was a monster king snake. It was when I finally caught the thing, and I tried to get my wife to take a picture, and I turned around and she's gone. I mean, <laughs> but it was. I mean, I'm six. I'm six two, and I was holding it out at you know shoulder, uh, outstretched arm, just straight out of my shoulder, and it was it was still dragging the ground as I was walking down to the back of the yard to release the thing, but. But never had much, never had much luck, and I'll be honest, I've I've never had much desire to start trying to catch possums and raccoons and foxes and uh, and I guess the you didn't catch. I'm trying to remember the fox video that you did, and I think you were just feeding it though, right? Yeah, I got it to eat out of my hand. Seems yeah. like that's right. Yeah. How long did that take? Do you remember? It didn't take long. It took like two tries. I mean, uh, really, the first day I couldn't get them near me, and then actually the guy I was hunting with. Uh, I told him, I said, you watch, I'll get that thing to feed out of my hand next time I come up here. 
and uh, he went and beat me to it. <laughs> so, so I wasn't the first one to feed that fox. <laughs> he took that as a challenge, but uh, but that fox would come running up when he'd see us after we started feeding it. It would wait for the truck noise, you know, and would come running over there. Now, is it are are, are these are these taking place in really remote the areas fox or was. anything where the animals just the fox was? But most was of the stuff it? is okay. just where I'm hunting or where I live. Um, my wife does uh, animal rehab. Um, she gets uh, she's got a license through the DNR, and they they bring her all the uh, uh, like problem raccoons and stuff, and and uh, orphans and stuff like that. And she rehabs them and releases them someplace. And uh, she'll get calls all the time where, um, you know, there's one in a barn or something and they can't get it or something. And she'll send me in to chase it down and catch it. <laughs> that can get kind of kind of scary. I mean, when you get those uh, big mature raccoons, they really get ornery, you know. I think uh, one of the funniest ones well, that uh, I had was uh, go ahead. we had a farmer down the street who had... Uh, a skunk family living in his, in his yard and uh the skunk got hit by a car and he called my wife up and said there's uh there's seven skunks in this hole out in the yard and they're all going to die because they're little babies or whatever so she made me go out there and and try to dig these things up and i hit tree roots and couldn't get any deeper or whatever and the farmer and his wife were all standing out there and they're all animal lovers and stuff and they want to save these stupid skunks so they talked me into you know, getting down in this hole as deep as I could, as deep as I dug it, and reaching my arm and the rest of the way and feeling to see if there's anything in there. And I actually pulled all seven skunks out of there. <laughs> Got sprayed a little, but uh, that was a kind of unique one. I wish I would have filmed that. Wow. Well, it's, I'll be honest, it's, it's, it's kind of fun watching the, the videos. And I guess I should, um, for just for anybody that's been living under a rock, if you're a deer hunter um, and don't know who Dan is, um, you run a, you run a website slash forum um you're also uh i know you've been um marketing your own climbing sticks uh recently um and then you have the facebook page and the youtube channel and i'll put as many links to those as i can in the uh show notes for this podcast because there's a lot of good content out there i've spent hours um on the forums especially uh, and here lately it seems like the, the facebook has really uh taken off and a lot more of the dialogue seems to take place on the on the Facebook page than the forum. Is that is that pretty much what you see as well, Dan? Yeah, I think the more hardcore guys are on my forum. Um, we police that, and we keep uh, anybody who's making nasty comments is just gone. So it's a real friendly, like family-oriented group on the forum, and guys can get a little more into hardcore mm -hmm. discussions. People know each other and stuff, so it's more the maybe maybe you won't even want to say the old timers, but a lot of them are young. But uh, <laughs> so maybe not. But uh, on Facebook, you get a lot more random people coming in, but you get lots of people, you know. So uh, it's two right. different crowds. Um, it's worth it for a guy to look around. But the, the one thing about the forum is, it, you know, even though it kind of looks a little cluttered, it's a lot more organized than Facebook and a lot more um, in-depth tactical discussions back and forth. So uh, like on our, the, the forum is broken into sections, and one of them is called the Deer Hunting Forum. And at the top of it is the, um, it's called something like uh, the all-time best tactical discussions or something like that. And you go in there and there's some really good in-depth uh, discussions about hunting deer on public land or pressured whitetails and stuff. And about uh, getting into real detail about specific tactics. That's a popular area. And that's, and I'll be honest, between that and the uh, picture threads that start each year, um, 
of the of the deer taking is probably where I spend most of my time. Um, I know, and I mentioned his before we started this, Jason Samkoviak. Like I said, I'm pretty sure. I know you've done a lot of different podcasts. I'm pretty sure you were you were on his, and I know you were on the Deer Hunting podcast. So they all kind of run together for me as well as I'm as I'm trying to keep track of of what's said on on which podcast. But um, I know some of the uh, tactics that Jason Samkoviak uses. He and I've uh, we've hunted together a couple of times. We've we've definitely spent a good bit of time talking with on uh podcast or just on the phone about various tactics and um and then add in the uh the buck bedding tactics that you, that you uh employ and that you really stress a lot to people i mean it it i i'm, I'm a firm believer believer that not everything uh nothing is 100 percent. nothing's going to work 100 percent of the time but the more of those uh, the more of those tools that you can put in your in your tool belt, the better you're off you're going to be. And um, two things: one, I don't, I think I missed it. Have you done the the 2018 um, slideshow um, from from last year's bucks on the YouTube channel this year? I yet don't or think not? we or did. That. I don't think we did that? that yet, and I don't know if we'll get to it. Um, we just got a lot going on right now. We're trying to get a, a big woods video done. We've got you know. Just a ton of crap, you know. And then you got you got people like me that bug you for podcasts late at night. So I know you stay busy, Dan. I, I definitely know you stay busy. Um, and I know you did one in in 2017, so I, I had to ask. But I will tell you this, and then we're I, I do want to start getting into some of the the areas that we we really want to talk about. But this past year, um, I took the biggest book that I've taken with uh, traditional gear. Um, and it's funny, uh, some of the guys that I've got to know through the podcast, and um, they run a podcast called the the Southern Outdoorsman. And it was funny because we were we were both out taking pictures last summer, um, July, August. You know, cool weather here in the South. <laughs> uh, and we we were out scouting, and we were we were actually texting each other pictures of the stuff that we we were found, and we were both focusing on uh, looking at. Uh, looking for for bedding areas and you know here in the south come july and august i mean it's a lot of times you're on your hands and knees crawling i mean it's it's just that thick especially if you're getting in these in these areas with a lot of these deer especially the bucks bed and uh they were doing this in in alabama i was in middle georgia and it was surprising some of the similarities of what we were sending back and forth and I I was I was coming through this area that I I I've been hunting the property for probably three or four years now and I've never hunted this section and I was working my way through it and I came across um, uh, two different beds that I was pretty confident were bucks um, went a little bit further and I came upon uh, just classic doe bedding um, beds scattered in every different direction all facing different directions. Uh, and I was sending these guys texts and I said, I will kill a buck here this fall. I said, that's, I'm really confident about this. And, uh, come, I guess it was in October. Um, I didn't get a chance to hunt down there much in the early part of the year, but I went down there in October and I knew that it was coming up on, um, you know, uh, pre-rut, the bucks were kind of, you could tell the bucks were kind of getting ready to, to, to do their business and, and they're going and seeking out these does. And I thought, you know, if I set up on the edge of this thick cover, just right outside where those doe beds were, um, 
but closer to the buck bedding, I thought, I think, you know, I think I've got a pretty good chance of seeing a buck this morning. And it was like, you couldn't have scripted it any better. It was probably about 80% dumb luck, but sure enough, this, this buck had actually ended up seeing uh, three other younger bucks doing the same thing later that morning. But he, he came out and was working right along the edge, just on the downwind side of where all those uh, doe beds were working the edge of the, the thick stuff on a transition line. And like I said, it was just, I couldn't have scripted it better if I'd wanted to. And as I'm sitting there watching this joker, I'm thinking, man, Dan Infault would love this. Um, and of course my, my, my camera, my camera arm, everything that I needed to record was sitting on my porch two hours away because <laughs> I was in such a hurry when I left that morning, I forgot all of it. Anyway, it was a, it was just a, a great hunt. And, uh, you know, it's 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 people like you and and Sam Kobiak and a lot of other people that put a lot of that content out that that helps people find or try those different things. I mean, it was not one of those uh, creek bottoms, creek crossings, heavy use trail, buck rub scrape. It wasn't one of those classic things that you hear people always talk about that they're hunting over. It was to the to the naked eye, there was no reason anybody would sit there and hunt. Right. So pretty cool. But you probably don't get many stories like that, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't get any. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get I get messages like that almost daily. It's uh it's interesting. Yeah. And you, you know, some of the things you keyed in on, like a lot of my biggest bucks, when you talk about age classes, the older ones have came from areas that do not look like classic hunting areas. And there's a reason for that. It's it's where nobody hunts. And those deer pick up on that and, and if there's the the terrain they need to bed is there, and it's overlooked. There's going to probably be something there, you know. Well, it it definitely was in this case, um, and I will. I don't know that I'll hunt that exact same area again, um, but I, I can guarantee you I would see the exact same results if I hunted it enough. I mean, you just, you just there's not enough sign that you would sit there and say I know the buck comes through here all the mm-hmm. time, but there's enough sign that you know if you're here at the right time, you're going to see something. You know, a lot of it's a timing thing. I mean, if you're there at the same time the next year, the same time frame, you know that's when they bed there. I mean, they, they bed, they rotate through those bedding areas at different times for different food sources, for whatever. But I really see a pattern on that, uh, the timing. You know, I, there's there's bedding areas by my house in the swamp where I've killed, there's there's one I've killed, geez, well over a dozen bucks. If I figured them all out, it might be two dozen out of the same bedding area. Um, and there's another one where I've killed nine or 10, you know, um, it's just by going in at the key time and never really hunting it until then. And if, if I showed you those trees, you'd say, no way are you killing those deer here? You know? And is that, is that on, is that public land or is it private? Yeah, it's public. Public. So, and I don't, uh, this is, we're going to pull that thread down. We'll look up and be two hours into this thing. We'll still be talking about this topic. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how it is there as far as like the, the tracks of public land in, um, in your home state here. Mm-hmm. I can't say I've had success in the same places on more than one occasion on public land, but there's just, for me, on most of the tracks that I hunt, there's such a wild card factor. It's definitely not something you can depend on because, um, you know, the, 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 if there's a negative side of people, you know, finding sites like your site and listening to, 
you know, people like you in the hunting public, some of these others, you know, a lot of the areas that those of us that have been, you know, going that extra mile for uh, five, six, seven, eight years or longer now, you know, we're starting to see there's other people paying attention. Um, and I've noticed the last few years, some of the areas that I've hunted in the past that, that I hold off for just that right time to sneak into, uh, I may get in there now and, you know, somebody's been hunting it. Uh, and when some of these areas, you can just tell there's nobody going back there. And then once they, once they start, it's easy to find them because they, they leave sign, uh, flagging tape, which is my biggest complaint is usually the culprit, but <laughs> do, do you run into that much where you are do do the, the, the hot spots that you kind of find that are, that are tucked away pretty much stay that well, way? Well, now, now you got to think too, that, um, um, most of the people in the Midwest up here know where I hunt because I live right on the swamp where I hunt the uh, right. uh, high majority of my time. And I have obviously seen, yeah, I mean, I released right in my hometown here over 10,000 of those marsh videos, you know, uh, filmed in the marsh behind my house. So mm-hmm. it attracts some attention, but I really, you know, most of my great spots are still to myself, but a few of them have got figured out. I see a big difference in the way people are hunting, though. I do see people in the, more in the right spots where when I first started hunting this swamp, um, guys were hunting in the middle of hardwoods or hunting ridges and stuff, and they still are. But you're seeing a few people that are really getting in there with canoes and kayaks and, and uh, going into the specific type locations where you didn't see that in the past. But um, they're still not finding my best overlooked spots. I think they're still overlooked to most of them. Well, I'm hoping it's uh like I said, it's a, it's a I guess for me it's um it's bittersweet because I, you know, I try to I try to help people whenever I can if they, you know, somebody wants to stop talking ask mm-hmm. and have met some some really nice people and and actually created some friends, you know, just helping people out. So I I don't mind that somebody's getting back in there where I'm hunting, but you know, it, it does, it makes you roll up your sleeves and, and reassess and say, okay, well, if somebody's, Mm -hmm. if somebody's gone into this area now, I'm pretty sure there's not going to be much reason for me to hunt it. But if I was, if I was that, that buck, or if I was the deer in this area, what would I do differently now? Um, so you can't figure it out. It just, you have to, you have to reboot. A lot of it's about, uh, you know, how you look at it too. Uh, some people look at that as like, oh, now everybody's figuring out my spots. You're gonna, you know, they're gonna find where I hunted, and now where am I gonna go? Or you can look at it as a challenge. You know, um, all these guys got the same right to be back there that I have. And when I go in there and kill that big buck, I feel like I did it on the same equal playing field as all those guys. And it's a confidence boost. I go out there and I say, oh yeah, <laughs> you think you can outdo me? And I'm going to come mm-hmm. out with that buck. And, I, and a lot of times I do. I mean, I, I shoot the biggest buck out here that everybody's watching. And in the past, it's amazed me that I was able to do it. But I really believe I can. And that's what does it. And, and a lot of times, you've got to work a little harder because of other people. But a lot of times, you know, that's just negative thinking. Those people will put those deer where you want them. And I start getting heavy pressure out here. I start being able to read the land a little more. I can take a map and... Mark off all those areas where everybody goes, and where aren't they going? And that little 5% of that huge marsh is where I'm going to find them. And and it's a simple procedure, but nobody else is doing it. 
I probably take a, a little bit different approach. I do have the same attitude. You know, it is, if it's public land, it's just as much theirs as it is mine. Um, the only time it frustrates me is when I run across the people that think for some reason they're more entitled to um, a certain location than I am. But that's a whole nother topic, not going down that rabbit trail. Um, but I always, I, I typically have a spot that I want to hunt on a specific morning. But if, if I arrive and somebody's parked and I'm pretty sure that they're at least in the general vicinity, um, I've always got three or four different backup plans. So it doesn't, it may delay me a little bit, but it, it typically doesn't, definitely doesn't ruin my day. So, um, I, I try to have more hunting spots picked out that that i feel confident in than i've ever got a chance to hunt i'm lucky in that i've got probably within an hour of my house hundreds of thousands of acres of public land and i hunt some private land too so on the subject of um chasing chasing big bucks really chasing deer in general i guess for a, a lot of people that was that was kind of the trigger um, that that prompted me to reach out to you. Uh, I guess it was last week, week before last. Is some of the things that that you've been um, posting on on Facebook. You may have been doing on the forums, but I'll be honest, I've, I'm probably locked into Facebook way more than I need to, mostly because of the podcast lately. But um, but you've been talking a lot about uh, the sacrifices that you've made to to pursue whitetail deer and specifically big bucks and i did want to talk to you a little bit about that uh dan if that's all right with you yeah sounds great i guess from the perspective and i I know some of this from from pictures but you know for 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 the masses out there listening you know the the huge masses that i have come into this (laughs) this podcast uh you know when did when did you really when did the bug bite you to really start just going hardcore after after the you know the the boss buck in the area that you're hunting when did that when did that bite you you know you know when i was a kid uh, uh i was infatuated with hunting and that's all i wanted to do um and i chased after deer but i was killing anything and i think i want to say around you know uh early 1980s i probably uh you know started to want to step it up get bigger bucks and it was kind of a struggle because at the time uh, you, you know, we weren't the richest family in the world and I was, you know, a teenager and, and, uh, holding out for a deer meant we weren't getting a deer if I passed one. And, and, uh, my dad didn't take to that too, too well. He'd always, uh, ask me if we were having horn stew, you know, when I'd get home, meaning I held out for a buck and, <laughs> you know, but, uh, so I, I, I started out a killer, but then I started really wanting to step up the game to the bigger bucks. Um, Probably in the early 80s. Um, and then after you get one or two, then you really get into it. And I think there was one buck uh, that really did it to me. And uh, that was one I hunted a few years. Um, and I got all his sheds, uh, except for one or two. But uh, I killed him at uh, five and a half. Um, and that just that, that buck just um, really bit me the way I hunted him down and figured him out. And he's the one where I really started to figure out the bedding thing where I started going in and learning all his bedding areas to figure him out and then actually crawled into his bedding area and shot him as he jumped out of his bed. Um, and then from then on, that was, uh, when I killed that buck was, uh, 1989. And I've, I killed, um, quite a few nice bucks before that, but that buck was a giant. And, uh, that really bit the bug. And from then on, 
for about the next 15 years or so, I just started killing giant bucks. I just made it, made it up in my mind that I was going to do it, you know, pretty much at any cost and just went out and just hardcore hunted them down. So if that was, sounds like uh, probably about the same time I was really getting now. And I, I'll be honest, I didn't, I love shooting a big buck. I really do. It's, but I'll be honest, it's not something I've ever really said. That's, that's all I wanted to do. Um, just, you know, I guess just different, different motivators, I guess would be the case. But was it the same for you? Um, in the in the early and mid eighties, uh, with regards to deer populations in Wisconsin, have you did you have a, a really healthy deer herd at that time, or was it or was it recovering up there like it was where I was at? It was just starting to grow. Um, you know the 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 mindset going into the eighties was that you had to go up north to get the deer. You know that in my mm-hmm. area there were no deer, but I think we had like uh, you know areas of five or ten deer per square mile which is, you know, it's triple or three, four times that now. Um, and now everybody's managing. They're not hunting for meat. There's not the poaching problems there was back then because people were feeding their families with them. So there's right. a lot more deer to hunt. It's a lot easier. Now, it was hard hunting back there, back then. Well, and I can remember, and I'm trying, I, I wish I could remember the year, which I can. I would say it was in the late 70s, early 80s. The first time I saw a whitetail, I mean, we didn't, and I grew up on a farm, so we were, you know, we were outside all the time. Um, and it was not something, I mean, they were just, they were very scarce. Um, but once, once you saw that first one, it was like within a year or two, they were, they were pretty much everywhere. So by the, I'd say by the time I graduated high school, you know, the, the back limits were very liberal. I grew up in North Carolina, uh, not Georgia, but, um, uh, I can remember, you know, time I graduated high school, uh, you know, you had back limits of 10, 10 deer with seemed like it was two bucks at the time or something like that. So, I mean, you could kind of like you were saying, you could take a lot of deer if you wanted to. Um, uh, but it was just not something that I, I felt the desire to really just go out and pursue just the biggest. So, I, I mean, you know, that, that's a, for that to bite you that, that, that early on is pretty, pretty unique. I think you just had a, you had a drive for that inside and something unlocked it. It sounded like it was that, that, that big buck. Um, but as far as, you know, you said you, you pretty much just, you went at it. Um, pretty sure you're not just talking about during, during deer season. You probably went at it pretty much year round, didn't you? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I used to fish when I was a kid and it pretty much ended my fishing and it ended everything because I started, uh, shining, glassing, scouting, you know, deer were on my mind 24-7, and, you know, um, it was like an addiction. Um, my jobs were chosen to make sure that I could, you know, hunt before and after work or leave when I wanted you know, instead of uh, where I'd get the maximum money for my myself or my family. It was really mm-hmm. a, a drive to kill these big deer, you know, and, and uh, I, I guess there was a little bit of... Um, ego back in those days of being the one who always killed the biggest buck you know being a young guy with a big ego and uh i just wanted to 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 do that and uh and uh put a lot into it now the 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 old saying is behind every successful man there's a there's a great woman um (laughs) i don't want to get i mean i i really don't want to get into you know 
any anything that's too personal, Dan. But just you know, reading through some of the things that you've stated, you know, I I it could be read into that that there you know there probably been some some tense moments. But were there a lot of challenges as far as you know uh, family understanding during those times, or or give us give me a little bit of insight on that? You know, I'll tell you, I don't think it was any worse than anybody else's family as far as them understanding me. Um, but I do think I took advantage of that. I think they supported me, mm-hmm. but me personally, I took advantage of that. I, I, I hunted and, uh, scouted and stuff way too much. I was never home. Um, I'd be out glassing all night. You can shine here legally just to locate deer. I'd be out all night right. long shining and stuff. I didn't make it, uh, to Halloween's with my kids. I didn't go trick or treating cause that's rut. I, uh, my one kid that's was born in November. I'd never be around on his birthdays and stuff because it was like an addiction. I was so into hunting and killing those big bucks, you know? Well, so obviously there's a, there's a, are there regret regrets question, but I'm going to hold that and and get back to that in a minute. Um, and my, my youngest daughter that I was talking about earlier who, who graduated yesterday and I, I, I couldn't be more proud of that child, but, uh, I was not, I didn't do the math uh, up front and she was so her birthday's middle of november um but i will say uh that's uh that would have been a deal breaker with my wife my wife is very supportive and she's not a hunter she's not an outdoors person uh but she does support me um and and she does a lot to free up time so that you know i can i can be in the woods in the fall um mm-hmm. But birthdays are out of the. That's that's off. The, that would have been a deal breaker. I can just <laughs> I can tell you right now that would have that would have been one of those tense moments that, that I I was mentioning. But but she, she you know she she's she's very understanding to a point. Um, but at, at the same time, I guess I I. So I, I'm trying to come up with something here. How I want to say it. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it from a different direction. I don't know when you and your wife met, but was, you know, was this something that, that kind of started after you got married or were you already, were you already in this mode when you met your wife? Um, so she kind of knew what to expect. Uh, I was with my wife since I was about 15. Um, Oh, wow. So she, congratulations. (laughs) So she, uh, she kind of knew what she was getting into and, and, uh, I mean, if she made a demand that I had to be home, I, I would, but you know what would happen is is no matter what, I'd always be on to something. You know, there would be some buck I knew about or something and something I expected to happen, and uh, I just wouldn't let it go, you know, and that I had to be out there and I had to do this, I had to try that. Um, you, you know, I, I can remember back uh, 1990, um, I hunted that whole season. I think I might have missed one day, and it starts in early September here. And I shot my buck on uh i think it was new year's day was the last day but on the last day of the season the last minute of the season wow <laughs> and i hunted almost every day of the season you're talking about uh those big bag limits well here in those days we had uh your archery tag was good for one deer and you could choose a buck or a doe um gun you didn't get extra po- uh extra permits you get uh, they had like party permits so mm-hmm. if you applied as a group, one guy in your group might get a doe permit for the whole party, you know. So we didn't have that big number of deer to go after that you were talking about earlier. 
we did later on. I mean, when you get up into um, closer to, you know, the mid-90s or to around 2000, that's when our population really boomed. And that's, I'll be honest, that's probably um, a big part of, of some of the decisions I've made as far as how I pr- pursue animals is I've always, I've always lived where there were uh, liberal bag limits. Um, and part of the reason why I found increasing uh, methods of limiting my range and making it more difficult. Um, and I can truthfully, I, I can truthfully tell you, Dan, there's very little, personally, this is just me. There is very little difference in the adrenaline rush that I get the heart rate that I that I achieve, whether it's a mature doe or a four point or a nice eight ten point buck. I mean, it, and a lot of times it's it's you know I'm 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 on the ground. I'm in close proximity. I've had deer walk by close enough I could hear them breathing. And if that doesn't get your blood going, man, you really need to go check. <laughs> get, you you need to get checked out because there's something wrong. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I do admire guys like you that have the, the dedication um, to, to really pursue that one animal. It's just not something I've ever, I've ever felt the need to do. In fact, well, I should back up. The only time I've ever done that was actually over a doe. Um, and I'll share an a article that I wrote about it that you can read at some point in time. But I had a doe that just gave me a fit one year. Um, and, and I don't want to ruin the story, but when it came down to it, I finally, I finally figured out a way and, and tricked her, uh, and had her dead to rights. And I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I I had to let her walk. I mean, she had just, she had earned my respect and I, I, I can't tell you why I've never had it happen before, but I came to full draw and, and I ended up letting the bow down and let her walk. Uh, but my, my blood pressure and my, <laughs> my adrenaline was just as high as it had been if it had been a 12 pointer <laughs> standing in front of me. So, um, so you've mentioned, um, a lot, like I said, over the last month or so that I've been seeing this, the, the dedication that you've put in and, and when it comes right down to it, if that's something that you're going, you want to do, if you want to pursue those big bucks, um, on their terms, and that's part two of this conversation when we get to it, but on their terms, um, it takes, it takes a lot of dedication. It takes a, a lot of time and it takes a lot of hours. Um, before we get into the, would you do things differently? Um, you know, I, I guess from your perspective, you know, what would you say to, uh, the average Joe that walked up to you tomorrow and said, Dan, I want to, I want to be like you. I want to, I, I have a desire to pursue these, these monster bucks. I want to do it on their terms. You know, how do you, how do you communicate to them what they can expect from a commitment perspective? I think the way I would, uh, uh, portray that is, is I would tell them that, uh, anybody can do what I did. It's nothing special. You just got to be willing to pay that price. And it's not just you that pays the price. It's my wife. It's my kids. It's my, <laughs> my family. It's my job. It's my career. There's a heavy price that I paid to kill all those bucks. And, uh, you know, it's like a lot of people want to put me on a pedestal as a great person. I might be a great killer, and I'd hate to call myself that, but I'm certainly not a great person when I look back at my life. 
at how I treated my family and stuff. It's, it's, you know, I don't know how to say it, but, uh, you know, I'm glad I'm where I'm at, but I'm, I'm, I'm also looking back, you know, I see myself, you know, younger as a guy with a lot of ego and a, and a drive to, to hunt deer that, uh, I sacrificed a lot of my life. And I'd like to portray that so somebody knows what, what they're doing, not telling them not to do it or to change their ways or anything else. Just hope that they see it from that point of view so they know where they're going. Well, the average person has got to make that, that decision for themselves. I don't think any of us can can tell, you know, type A strong personalities, as most of us are, um, whether they should or shouldn't do something. But, you know, you've spent a lot of time, uh, and I know you've, you've, you've created and sold some, some DVDs, um, which – are fantastic if you <laughs> anybody that hasn't seen them I, I highly recommend them i think i've got just about everyone you've ever made and some of them are areas that i just never hunt that type of terrain but it's still i enjoy watching them and listening to them but beyond that you've put out a lot of content for people that doesn't cost them a dime uh so i would say in some aspects you've saved a lot of us a lot of trial and error but, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. I, I don't, I, it definitely has saved me a lot of trial and error. It saved me a lot of time trying to figure out things or, or knowing what to look for that I might've spent heck a year, two years discovering it on my own. But even once you know, or have all those different tools in your tool belt, you still have to spend, if you, if you really want to be successful year after year, you have to spend a lot of time out there. So it's, it's not like you've given people a ton of shortcuts. I mean, they, yeah. they still got to put in the, in, in the legwork and the time, right? Yeah. Well, most people nowadays, they want a magic secret. They want some, you know, magic product. They want some way to get the job done easy. It's, it's the mindset of people nowadays. And, and the, the real secret is there is no secret. It's about hard work. It's about the hard scouting. I mean, I lay it out. There is there is a, a system to how I killed those deer, but a lot of people don't want to hear that. I mean, when you tell them, it'll probably take them about three years before they really start killing big bucks because it takes the effort, the 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 looking at the material, going out in the woods and, and employing it, and coming back and looking at what they did wrong and going back out. When they start to realize it takes some time, they they re- usually revert back to their old ways, and and some people do grasp on and, and move forward and, and start killing big bucks after a short period of time and, and moving forward. It's all there, but it's, it is a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. And, and then one thing is, is you really can't, um, buy or, or learn drive, you know, you got to have that built into you. Right. And, uh, a guy that just, uh, thinks he can just go out and go through the routine is not going to kill a deer like a guy who's, uh, an obsessive nut who's thinking about, well, why didn't the deer come by? Where did they go through? If they're not here, where are they? You know, there's people over there. Where are they? And you're constantly sitting in that tree stand thinking, what did I do wrong? Where do I got to go next? Where do I got to make a move to? That guy's going to kill the deer because he's constantly obsessing about it until he figures it out. You know, and, and that's not something you can buy or learn. That's got to be in you. That drive has to be in you. And it's, there's a couple things that you touched on there as I'm listening that 
I kind of have to have to grin about because I I know I know the things that that you do, and I know a lot of the people that that subscribe um, to a lot of your tactics uh, do this. But it always tickles me when I I hear somebody talk about how they sat in a stand all day long um, and didn't see anything. And then you start talking to them and, well, the wind wasn't exactly right, but you know, the stand was already there or, um, the, the, the wind shifted or somebody came by and was hunting, you know, a hundred yards from them. And it was too much trouble to, to, to relocate. Um, and I know, I know you relocate quite frequently, um, and I'm the same way. So it's, I guess what I'm getting at is it's, it's the work in some ways, the work never stops. Um, right. You know, just think about this mindset. I mean, um, a lot of your listeners will probably relate with, with this. I mean, you get an idea in your, your mind. This is where I think this buck's going to come through, or this is where I think I need to be. And you head out there based on the wind or your past knowledge or scouting or a combination of, of things. And you head out to this spot for me. You know, about 50-50, I make it there. <laughs> I'll, I'll scout a way in and and look at a transition on the way in. I'll make a plan at how I'm going to go. I'm not taking that dirt road that goes from point A to point B and then jutting off on this trail that goes straight to the stand. I'm making the best of the path out there, and I'm hunting my way back there and finding if there's something else I want to hunt. There's, there's a few spots I want to check and see if there's a deer working over here, if there's sign coming out of a transition or out of a bedding area, I'm my way to that spot. I never really know for sure where I'm going to end up. And that's part of that stand on my back all the time. You know, and, and uh, the other thing is, is you go into those areas, like you said, that the wind's not quite right or whatever. If I got that stand on my back, I'm choosing the tree based on the wind. I might hunt the same area that I was planning, but I might not be in the same tree the next year when I hunt that area. Right. I seldom hunt the same tree twice in a year, but the same area I'll be hopping around from different trees based on the wind, the thermals or whatever morning, evening, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I must admit, I do typically hunt. It's, if it's areas that I feel really good in, I may hunt it now in our season is, I mean, our season runs from like the first or uh, first Saturday in September through middle, middle January. So we've got a very long season, um, but I don't think I I hunted any stand more than four times last year. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let me ask you this: you know, um, sure. for me, uh, I've analyzed everything I've killed. That's something about me is I analyze my failures, my successes, everything, and I see what works, what what don't, and I'm constantly trying to improve. And one thing I've noticed is the very largest, oldest bucks I've killed on on pressured land. Almost every one of them was the very first time I sat a spot. And uh, what's interesting is when you get around a group of good hunters and you bring that up, just about every one of them gets a shocked look on their face and says, you know what, the biggest one I got was the first time I sat a spot. But then when you think about it, how often do you hunt the same tree that you've hunted in the past over and over again? Even if it's, you know, three times a year. Right. But that first sit is when you kill that big buck they're really in tune to what's going on around them. They know where you hunt. They don't live out there for five, six years and not figure out where the hunting areas are. 
Very true. And there is, there's, I do want to come back to some of this uh, when we start talking about the, um, you know, trying to buy success, because there are some key points that, that I know you like to make that I would like to dive into on that. Um, I would say the answer to your question is probably 95% of the time. I can only think of one instance, um, and that was actually in 2017, where uh, I shot, and it wasn't, I think it was probably a three and a half, maybe a four year old buck. It wasn't an overly mature animal. Uh, decent, really large size deer, uh, fairly, fairly decent uh, antlers, but it was like the second or third time. I think it was the third time I had set that stand again over the course of several months that, that I got an opportunity at him. Uh, but it, it generally is, is like you say, it's the, it's the first time, which is, to be perfectly honest, one of the reasons the first time, if I've hunted a stand once before, I, I can I can tell you subconsciously I'm I'm probably not as cautious and careful moving into that hunting location the second time as I am the first mm-hmm. time. It's just because I, I well I've already sat there and I didn't I didn't get a shot, so therefore I've I've got less confidence in it. Um, I don't know if that plays into into your thought process at all or not, or if you just no matter what, if you if you climb a tree, I get the feeling that if you climb a tree, uh, by the time you've you've decided to put the first stick at the bottom of the st- the the tree, you're pretty confident that's the tree to hunt, right? Every hunt I make, I absolutely believe the buck I'm after is going to come walking out, and I'm going to kill it. If I don't have that confidence, I won't hunt there. Period. I mean, there's been times when I've walked through the woods and you stand on my back, go out to set up, and spend a couple hours walking around, go back to the truck, and never even hang a stand. I got to believe in what I'm hunting. It's just, you know, in me. You know, going back on, on where this, this part of the conversation started about that first hunt thing, you know, uh, earlier in this conversation, we were talking about uh, I had hunted a spot where I sh- I've shot nearly two dozen bucks, another spot right. where I've shot in a dozen. I mean, all trophy bucks that you'd mount, but they certainly aren't my biggest. It's the, it's the group of about 10 or 12 bucks that are over five years old that I'm talking about. And, and it's real easy for a guy to get into that uh, mindset of just going out and doing the same thing over and over and over again when he gets to a level where he thinks he's doing well. You know, you know where you can shoot those two- and three-year-olds that are, you know, decent rack, maybe Pope and Young, year after year after year. But you have to step up your game and hunt even different if you're going to hunt mature bucks because those aren't really mature. That's when you right. start, you know, and, and when I look at that, all the time I spent in those stands where I've killed all those bucks, you know, I only hunt those spots once or twice a year. I look back and the first buck I shot in each one of those spots is one of those giants the first time I sat there. But then it turns into this, this you know, two three-year-old factory and you have to keep changing it up to keep killing those big bucks if you if you want to up that game to that next level and i may i I can definitely see myself getting there at some point where i i I do want to do that but i don't know i don't know when it'll be it may be it may be five years it may be 10 years from now you know what you you struck something with me earlier steve when you said that um that you like shooting a nice buck or whatever and, and you're real happy with that and you probably should be Especially using, you know, using the uh, equipment that you're using, the range you got to get, and everything else. I mean, it's, that's got to be a thrill. Well, I'm not saying you shouldn't shoot bucks like that, and in no regard am I saying that. But I am saying that if you hunt differently, 
that you'll at least be in the game for those mature bucks. Oh, I, believe me, I get it 110%, and I did not think that you meant that uh, in any way. And I'll so I'll tell you a little side story here. I and I and I'll tell anybody um, personally. I think anybody that's actually buying a hunting license and going out in the woods and hunting do what makes you happy you know if it's chasing the big buck great i'm all for it and i will you know i'll encourage you i'll do whatever you can if you just want to go out and and kill a buck or maybe it's a doe if it's what fires you up that's what you're supposed to be out there for is the experience and it's it's supposed to be for that adrenaline rush and what gets you pumped up and and when you walk out of the woods your your hands are shaking because you're so excited i I don't, it doesn't matter to me what you're pursuing and it doesn't matter to me what you're pursuing it with. And on that note, the buck that I shot last year that we were talking about earlier, um, excuse me, the, the gentleman that I, uh, I leased the property through, um, he does, he, he does a good bit of guiding. Um, but he also does some land. I don't know what you really call it. He leases the property and, and then, uh, leases it back out as a hunting club i don't even know what the term would be for that but um he's got subleasing. a uh, yes yeah, subleasing is basically what it is he's got a, a track of land that he and his son um that's that's a piece of property that he and his son hunt and it's a long story but i had a piece of property that i was hunting by myself i'm a big i like if i'm going to lease a piece of property and most of these are small hundred acre tracks um, it's just my one place that I can go when I just want to get away up from the public, you know, a couple times a year, I don't hunt them much. Um, but that, the one that I was leasing, it was clear cut. I mean, it was just leveled. It looked like a bomb went off and he actually carved off a hundred acres on this track of land that he and his son hunt, uh, for me to hunt. And that's where I took this buck last year and, and, um, he pulled the jaw and aged the buck at four and a half years old. So it was, I mean, it wasn't five years old, but it was close, and it was a, um, it was a what I would classify as a pretty mature animal, um, and I was very proud of it. Uh, and and then two two or three weeks later, um, was hunting very close to this this same piece of property, and took the first animal that I've taken with a primitive bow. So basically, it's a glorified stick with a string on it. Um, even beyond just what a you know a, a traditional longbow or recurve is, this is uh, uh, it was actually a bow modeled after the uh, Cherokee Indian style bow. It's literally when you when you pull this bow back, you can feel the handle bending in your hand because it's just a stick. And I shot a, a I think it was a five point, probably a eighteen month old deer uh, at seven yards on the ground with that that primitive bow. And brother, I didn't stop shaking for three hours. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, and that's the kind of thing that I wish so many people could experience. I do think just my personal opinion, I think a lot of people that, that decide they want to just pursue these, these, these big bucks all the time. I do worry. Uh, I should say worry. It does concern me sometimes that they're missing so much of the experience because I, I don't know that. I don't, I don't know that a lot of them necessarily are doing it for the right reason. Uh, and I, right. I want to be careful with that because who, who am I to judge, right? Right. But when I say that, what I'm saying is, are you missing the most important part of being out there, which to me is the experience of the hunt? 
you know, when I look back to, uh, I look back to my childhood and, uh, running around, uh, you know, the, the farm with my stick bow, uh, shooting deer, just, uh, trying to get any deer. And when I get one, it was such a rush. And when I look back at my whole career, you know, guys would think the highlight would be that big buck that I shot this day or that day or whatever, crawling up to one, you know, on Thanksgiving day. But the highlight of my, my hunting, the things that make me smile the most is going back to my childhood and chasing them things around with a, with, with a stick bow and shooting my first uh, seven pointer with the bow and, and, uh, you know, the first, first deer I got, the second deer I got, those deer were a thrill, the biggest thrill I ever had in my life. You know, and I do think that you're right in the direction you were going there where these, these kids today now, now are, um, I don't know how to say it, but they're getting placed right into hunting where it's not the same mindset. They're not getting turned loose. They're not earning a place in camp. They're going out and they're, uh, they're getting placed in a stand, um, where they didn't scout. They didn't set the stand. They don't know anything about it. They're just there to pull the trigger. You know, and, and they really don't, you know, uh, ever get to enjoy the learning how to hunt thing. You know, and, and by the time they're done getting this um, mentoring from their dad, who means totally well, it's too late. They miss that portion of their life, that portion of hunting. And then they come away from it with a different perspective, and they end up, you know, these guys you see on TV with all the patches on and the truck full of stickers. Because they, they're not real right. hunters. You know, they, they don't learn it. Um, you talk to these kids nowadays, they, they, you can point out a set of tracks, they can't tell you if it's a buck or a doe. They, you know, they can't look at uh, sign and decipher it because they've never learned that. They've learned how to sit over a food plot and, and uh, pull a trigger or uh, pull a release. They, they're, not, they're not starting out in those basics. Or, you, you, you know what I mean? I, I know completely what you mean. And... The sad part, and again, this goes back to part of this discussion. And and Dan, I, I won't same. I'll put the same thing back to you that you just did to me about. I'm not, I'm not judging. I mean, I, I really am not trying to judge. And and I think the things that you've accomplished are just short of amazing. Um, and and you've obviously got that drive, and that's what that's what makes you tick. And I get that, but. I do understand what you're talking about with some of these younger people and, and, you know, they can't, they can't read any of that sign. They, they don't really have what, you know, I would classify as woodsmanship. Um, but they can tell you how many inches of horns that, that deer has it <laughs> at 400 yards through a scope. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then there's the, the other, the other side of this too, that, that I admit does when you start talking about, you know, hunter recruitment and and hunter numbers down and so forth how much of that is because you put a kid in a box blind over a feeder or over a food plot they squeeze the trigger one time to kill the animal and we were talking about this before it's kind of like a and i, I want to be very careful how i equate these two it's kind of like a video game and i'm not saying the killing is like mm -hmm. a video game what i'm saying is if you put a if you give a kid a, a video game and they can sit down and they can master it and conquer it in five minutes and they're finished, they're never going to play it again. And it's the same way with the with the deer hunting. You show them that instant success, and what is the what's the motivation to go back and do it again? Um, and I do think that yeah. has a, a 
there's got to be a factor there of of you know young people that go out they experience in, instant success and why would I want to do that again? Uh, I've already conquered that and it's done because they they don't know what what I would classify as being the true hunting experience. Um, right. Again, if you want to sit over a food plot, and I'm not saying don't do it. That's not what right, I'm saying. Right. But you, I think you get where I'm going with this. It's it's the mentality. Right. There's there's nothing wrong with with hunting that manner. What I'm saying is that. It, the, the people you bring into hunting should learn the process of hunting. They shouldn't be just placed in a stand to kill. Um, for case in uh, example, um, I got invited to a, a, a mentoring program recently uh, that uh, this friend of mine was pretty proud of. Um, he probably won't be too proud of me after I talk about this, but... <laughs> But his uh, mentoring program, what they were doing was they got a, uh, he's in a club and he's got all these kids that come there that they don't know. They put advertising on social media and stuff and they get all these kids to come to learn how to hunt. It's a mentoring program. These kids get there in the dark on a special day when, when only kids can hunt because the state has allowed, here has allowed a youth season. So these kids get there in the dark and they meet this guy they've never met before. The guy takes them to a blind they didn't set up. It gets light out, and the guy calls in a turkey that he located the day before. The kid doesn't know anything about it. Turkey comes in, he shoots it. Thanks to the guy that he, that he just met, you know, half an hour ago, takes his turkey and goes home. And these guys are all walking around proud that they're mentoring kids. That's not mentoring. That's killing. That's teaching them how to kill. Mentoring would be to take them out for the weekend, show them how to locate that bird, have them set the tent up, show them what it's about, take them out there, do the scouting. You know, and he doesn't have to kill a bird. You know, it's just, it blows my mind the way, the way this whole thing is going. And, and, and when you see disrespectful hunters and stuff, well, they're the product of that. That's what they're coming yeah. from. And, and if you ask, cause I've done it. If you ask someone who's, who's putting a, a young hunter in this position, why they're, why they approach it this way. I can almost guarantee you that it might not be the exact words, but the response you're going to get is, well, if, if you don't, they're going to get bored. Um, Mm -hmm. well, if that's the case, then, then you're doing something wrong. I can tell you right now, the average kid that wants to go out, that is going to be interested in going out and trying to hunt, they're going to soak up anything you're willing to try to show them and tell them. And you, there's all kinds of ways to make that kind of stuff interesting. Um, and hey, look! If the kid is bo- is if they're generally bored by it, then they don't need to be out there anyway. Um, no matter how much you may want them to be, it's it it's not for everybody. Um, I would much rather a kid tell me they don't want to do something and that you know they're bored with it or it doesn't appeal to them, and say, "Well, go find something that does," than to create another one of these disrespectful hunters that I know you're talking about. Cause we've, we've, I think a lot of us have encountered them. Um, if you haven't talked just about go this. on Facebook. <laughs> Very true. And I've talked about this on the show a couple of times now. I'm not going to go into detail cause I've, I have been through it, but I mean, there have been multiple occasions where I've had people uh, that have shot whitetails. Um, I've seen the animal run by me, know that they're hit, know it's a lethal hit but that it it's not going to go down, you know, in 60 yards. 
um, try to help them, and they just say, "Well, that that deer's that there's no way that deer's going dead. It's still running after a hundred yards." And I'm like, "You're kidding me, right?" Um, and on more than one occasion, I've actually got their number and called them later and told them, or tried to tell them to come get the deer. One of them actually asked me if I would deliver it for him. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, right. And that's the ones that you see on Facebook that you just, I sit, I sit there and I cringe and I scratch my head and go, you know, no wonder we've got such a problem with, um, you know, with, with people frowning upon hunting. Um, there's some, there's just some, and the bad part is I don't, I don't think in their mind they think they're doing anything or saying anything or showing anything wrong. Right. I think the biggest thing a guy can do is just to make sure that you carry yourself right. I mean, um, a person who is a really good person who, you know, hunts properly, does the right things, you know, and takes the time to help or explain things to people. I mean, those kids will look up to you and they'll, they'll want to be like you. I mean, but if you, um, if you let them see you on your worst or if you get to your worst, I mean, that's what affects those kids too. I mean, and a lot of it falls on us, you know, and it doesn't mean that the kid's going to go out and hunt with you. Like you said, they don't have to go. They don't have to like hunting or whatever, but you should make sure that they see you as a hunter in a good light. Like that's a good thing because they're certainly not hearing that when they go to school or they're, you know, they're around their friends. They're hearing about how you're an evil murderer, you know? Right. Um, so it's really up to us to show that image. It is. And, the, and, and then there's the other element, which I do want to, I do want to, talk about a little bit and that's the you know if they if they are interested and they don't have a they don't have a mentor then uh, heaven help them they're watching what's on the outdoor channel or the sportsman's channel or um you know there's some there's just some bad there's just what's that i'm sorry i said that that's you know if they don't have a mentor that is hunting to them uh, I, exactly. Um, and look, I get you have to condense things to get it into a 30 minute show and, and, you know, you got to pay for the bills, I, you, but some of this stuff is just, wow. Um, so let, let's, let's use that as a good segue here, Dan. So I know that you, you spend a lot of money every year on, uh, scent control and, and camouflage and, and lures and all this other stuff, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm pretty much of a minimalist, but not by, not because I like that term or anything. It's just, you know, I only buy what I need. Um, I don't go out and buy frivolous crap, you know. Um, uh, I don't have any belief that scent control works whatsoever. I don't think there's anything you can do to keep a deer from, from smelling you other than stand downwind of it or not walking where he's going to walk. And as far as camouflage, as long as you blend in, that's all that matters. Um, a lot of those big bucks I've shot, I'm wearing flannels or... Um, you know, just um, all of drab or dark jeans. Um, you know, everybody always laughed about the one buck I killed. I was wearing uh, fish camel. <laughs> it had little, little fish all over it. But right. uh, it was really a dress shirt that was green, and I thought it was funny, so I bought it for camel. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you don't need all that crap, but those, those TV shows and stuff promote that. You know, um, but when I look back at uh, all the really great hunters that I looked up to when I was growing up, they were all flannel wearing blue jean guys. 
but the guys portraying it on TV are portraying that you got to, you know, you, you have to have this kind of camo. You have to have this for scent control. You have to, and they, and they have to do that to pay their bills, at least in their mind. Mm -hmm. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't get on one of those shows, um, and do that. I couldn't push that stuff on people. Um, as you can imagine, I've gotten plenty of offers to be on TV shows, but I'm not going to do that if I have to push crap down people's throats. I just won't. Um, I'm a sponsor's nightmare, <laughs> but you know, and, and I'll tell you something, uh, you, you know what, Steve, if you want to get sponsored, um, by scent control, all you have to do is, is do a podcast about how scent control is stupid and don't work. <laughs> I had, they after that podcast, the, I had just about work. every scent control company out there offering me free <laughs> products, offering me money. <laughs> they want to be the one that wins you over. So maybe you got to go the opposite approach, but, uh. But yeah, I think a lot of that's just uh, crap. I mean, uh, uh, I killed I killed plenty of big bucks when I was a, a, a kid with you know uh, Bose bought at garage sales that didn't fit me. You know, um, you you don't need that stuff. I mean, in a lot of cases, technology helps you out. But what I'm saying is, you don't have to have it. You can do just fine. I think what you really need is to make sure that you're scouting and stuff. That's the most important thing is that you're finding those bucks to hunt down. Because if you're not hunting a target uh, buck, I mean, you're just uh, pissing in the wind to say it's, you're, you're just out there holding on a tree. You have to be, right. you know, you have to be out there for a reason. You, you know, like I said earlier, I won't even hunt unless I believe I kill kill a big buck that day. And I hunt almost every day of the week. I mean, yeah, I hunt like nowadays during season. I probably hunt five days a week. I cut it back quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I have too, uh, <laughs> and I believe you. I do believe you. So, and, and you know, you're you're you're. I, I honestly think it, it just amazes me that people, a lot of people, choose to ignore. And I and I I do want to get into the confidence factor, because I do think that is a that is a big component here. But it it amazes me that people get in that can't get into their head that a whitetail can smell in parts per billion, and you think mm-hmm. you're going to cover that up. Um, and then there's the, you know there's the whole ozone argument, and you know I've seen. I've seen what people have portrayed as being evidence that ozone works. And, hey, maybe it does. But part of me, first of all, I'm never going to go out and spend 300 and some dollars on a device that I have to lug in to hang on a damn tree um, that's supposed to put out this magic smoke that covers everything up. But even if it did, I don't uh, – that to me is just taking it too far. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I would appre- – yeah. if, if I was successful – I know it would be nagging at me in the back of my mind. I wasn't successful. That that piece of equipment that was hanging that tree was what was really responsible for the success, and I don't want that. Um, yeah, you're absolutely personally. right. So um, when, you, you get into that, that whole scent control. I mean, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole as much as you don't want to. But if, if you look at that, every every time I've ever seen a test – that proves scent control works, it is done by a scent control manufacturer. Every scent control test I've seen done outside of the hunting industry 
has proved it doesn't work. Everyone that's done by scientific groups or myth busters right. or, or guys with hounds that don't care what the, the outcome is. But besides that, like you said, I, I mean, why are we hunting deer? We're hunting them for the challenge. You, you know, um, the whole trick to it is beating their nose. I mean, that's their whole, their whole game. So you beat their nose, you can win. So it's a whole chess game of not only do you got to figure out where this deer is, you got to figure out how the wind's going to hit them, how the thermals are going to hit them, what's going to go on here. You, you know, as the evening comes, how's the wind going to change based on the thermals, based on the landscape. And you got to get in there and get it done. And the guy who does the best comes out with the best outcome. And the mindset nowadays is to find some shortcut. In my eyes, they have not beat the scent control thing. And by God, I pray they never do because they'd ruin hunting. And I can tell you right now, if you could take my scent away, I'd just sneak up on I'd crawl up to them in their beds and shoot them right in their beds. Right. You know, they're, they're looking downwind. They can't smell. They, they're smelling from behind. If they couldn't smell me, I could crawl up from behind. I know where they bed. I, half the time, I know where there's a buck at. I just can't get at them. You, you know what I'm saying? I could just literally walk up to them and kill them. I mean, I mean, I hope they never win that game. But that's the whole thing is they're trying to make this magic product that'll make hunting easy. Well, they make it easy to ruin hunting. I hope they never they never achieve that. Well, I mean, it, the argument could be made, like you're saying, if if you get to the point where where you truly defeat their nose, and it's no different than if you had him on a leash. In my opinion, I mean, what's he? Yeah. What what option does the animal have? And like I said, I, I think the biggest thing for me is just what I said. It it. Why do I want to reduce what I'm trying to do to that level? Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's just it for me. I, I have no desire. Now, I will tell you, I have, uh, I did not purchase any last year. And I do want to get your thoughts on this. I did not purchase any kind of scent control spray or anything last year. In years past, I have, and I usually go through uh, probably a, a pound-sized box of uh, baking soda, and a quart of peroxide every year prior to last year. And here's here's what I was attempting to do, and I already think I know what you're going to tell me as I was, I was, I think your term was pissing in the wind. Um, I was trying <laughs> not to prevent the animal from smelling me. What I was trying to do was minimize the residual odor that I left behind when I was either scouting an area or I was hunting an area. So I would take, you know, I was always wearing the rubber boots. And every, I don't know, three, two to three weeks, I would take and just lather. I would basically make a slurry of baking soda and peroxide and scrub these boots down. Um, and my, like that was my goal, was to reduce the residual odor. And I finally just decided I really don't think I was really helping my case all that much at all. I'd like to know what you you think about that. Is it is it an effort in futility to even try to reduce the amount of human scent you're leaving behind? I think it's not, it's not even worth trying. I think that uh, those deer can smell that scent, know how old it is. They it, they smell windborne scent, and know about exactly where you're at. Um, I don't think there's anything you can do to fool their nose. I mean, I've had deer when I stink. You know, I come out of the work, a shop at work. I'm still wearing my work clothes, and I throw a camo jacket over it, and I go hunting, and I stink, and I've had big bucks downwind of me. I'm dropping milkweed, and it's hitting them, and they don't react. And the next one comes in and just blows out of there. So every deer has a different type of mindset. So one might fool you into thinking something's working. Um, 
but in a lot of cases, they just ignore you. In a lot of cases, they do, you know, react. Um, so you can get sidetracked, but uh, um, let me tell you, if scent control is real, I must be the best hunter in the world because I wear my tennis <laughs> shoes out hunting. I wear old, dirty jeans. I've got a sweatshirt that I haven't washed in six years. It's one of my favorite ones to wear hunting. It makes my eyes water a little when I'm, <laughs> when I'm out there hunting, but I like that shirt. <laughs> so you know, and, and, it's, you know, it's a, Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's amazing to me that people think they can beat their noses. They can't. You know, um, I... I, I go and uh, hunt out of a camp and I won't shower for a week. You know, I stink. You know, I'll, I'll put smelly deodorant on. I don't even buy the odorless stuff. And I'll go out there and I'll hunt. And uh, I'm not having any problem with it. I just keep the wind in my face, you know. Well, if they ever learn how to, if they ever learn how to smell you when they're upwind, we're all in trouble. Um, <laughs> a couple things you said there. You mentioned the, the buck that, the, the occasional deer that'll come through and you know, they're smelling you and they ignore you. I've had that happen before. And I'm wondering if they're just so confident or comfortable in the area that they, they feel like they're not in danger that they just ignore it. I'm wondering you know, what goes through a deer's mind. Who knows? Um, you, you know what I've seen? I've seen that if I'm hunting in a bedding area, like on the edge of a bedding area, one of those overlooked spots where nobody gets, they get my wind in that area, they go nuts. They freak out about it. But if they get my area in people where they, in places where they expect people, they seem to be okay with it. Kind of like when you walk through a, a woods and you, you know, I've seen this where you, you, there's a trail that takes you into the public land. And at some right. point you can, you can split off, right? You walk down that trail and you'll see deer walk across that trail in front of you. You can get to the side and watch them. They never react. They never go down and smell the tracks, but 20 people walked on that that day. They just walk right across, right? But then you walk off that trail a little ways, and they hit your, tra your, your trail 10 yards off of that trail, and they stop, they smell it at the least. Mm -hmm. Some of them freak out. You know, then again, there's the one that walks right over it. But you certainly see a stronger reaction when you're not where you belong. And when you start getting into their, their little core home area, that's when they really seem to freak to me. Um, but I have had non-reaction deer in those areas too. I seem to get they're, less reaction around rut than I do outside of rut. It seems like rut, they, right. they're, they're, they get a little sidetracked and their mind's on one thing, and then, then your wind can hit them a little bit, you know? Well, they're just, they're just like us. They're, they're all different. Um, yeah, exactly. They're all, they're all wired a little different. You know, it's funny, and I've thought about this multiple times. You know, I, I've, I'll admit, I've got suckered into some of this stuff in the past um, as far as the the scent control and the, the um, I would say not so much the scent control. The scent control for me was like I just said, it was always I was attempting and fooling, thinking in my mind that I could reduce the odor I was leaving behind. It wasn't because I had any misconceptions that I was going to spray this magic juice on my clothes and if a deer walked downwind of me, they weren't <laughs> going to smell me. I, I, I've never approached it from that perspective, but I have got pulled into the um, the scents and lures and those kind of things. And, and I'll admit I do own, you know, I do own camo and I do typically wear camo, um, mostly like a skyline pattern because mm -hmm. we have a lot of deer, uh, especially on the public land here. I've seen them walk. 
I've seen them walk through uh, a section and start looking up in the trees. They will stop and scan tree lines. I've seen them do it. I know that they're used to seeing uh, people perched in a tree stand. Um, but you know, the flip we side got of that, that is, too. You, you know, I got I to gotta wear camo, too. You know, I, um, late season comes, the trees are bare and stuff. It's, you, you know, I wear it when I need it. That, that's the point. I'm not saying that it's bad or anything, you know. Camouflage is uh, good. I use camo. Sure, sure. Yeah, a tree in full foliage and you're sitting up in it, you got to be dancing for something to see you, I think, if, uh, you know, regardless of what you're wearing, um, if, it's, if you've got a lot of cover. But the flip side of that is growing up, I grew up on a tobacco farm. I've left, you're talking about, you know, not or smelling ripe. I mean, I've left a 10, 12-hour day in a tobacco field and tobacco barn sweating and covered in just the, you know, the worst smell you, and I've killed deer. So, I mean, I know you don't need it, um, but that 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 kind of carries me into the next question is, how do you feel about some of these um, magic potions, these, these success in a, in a, in a bottle type things, if it gives somebody the confidence that they need to stay the extra hour, two hours, three hours in a stand, because in their mind, you know, this is, this is giving them an edge. What do you, what do you, what do you think about that? Or have you ever thought about it from that perspective? Well, I'd, I would rather they had their confidence in scouting I think confidence always helps somebody, always. But I mean, if you just look at the the concept of uh, that scent that, bottle of scent that you're talking about, if that was really dough and heat, did you ever see a dough and heat? They can't shag the bucks. They walk up wind of a swamp. Every buck comes out of that swamp chasing them. You know, I've seen it where twenty bucks are chasing one doe when the first one or two come into the heat. Put a bottle of that uh, scent up wind of a, of a, of a swamp and see how many bucks can run into it. If it really worked, if it really smelt like a dough and heat, and you put it out upwind of any any huge swamp, I mean, it can smell for 10 miles. That's proven. So if they can smell for 10 miles, and you put that in the upwind side of a swamp, every buck in that swamp would come running. It just don't work. It can trick a buck if the buck is in the right mood and he wants to believe in it. You know, you know it's, as you said, the confidence thing, that's huge. I mean, sure. we can go in a direction of confidence, um, that makes a huge difference in your hunting. I just, I mean, I mean, some guy might think having a lucky rabbit foot's good confidence too in his pocket. You know, um, <laughs> does that mean it's going to kill him deer? No, but the confidence might. <laughs> right, right. Well, and and it look if if you could convince if you could convince a hunter to get in a stand, and from the time his his foot hits the platform of that stand or maybe even from the time he gets out of his truck maybe that's a better way to approach it from the time you shut the door on your vehicle until the time you get back to your vehicle if you have in your mind that that buck that you're after is standing behind the tree that you can't see beyond and he's coming your way if you take that attitude the entire time I guarantee you you're going to see more deer and you're going to get more shots of deer because the the I'm a firm believer in once somebody starts losing that confidence and they start fidgeting and they're moving around and digging in their pack and they're pulling their their um, their their wind puffer out and they're they're spraying their concoction on them again because obviously they haven't seen a deer because they didn't they missed a spot. Those kind of things is where they say that saves more <laughs> that saves more deer than anything. Um, you bet. In my opinion, 
but I mean, I, I truly do believe that, that, you know, the, the, the lack of being able to sit still because you've lost confidence is probably the biggest downfall for the average hunter. Um, well, the thing is, if, if, if you don't have confidence, you, you know, you don't believe that you're going to kill a deer. Are you really going to walk that mile and a half to that spot? You think that, the, you know, they might show up on this spot. This is the spot I've overlooked. No, you're going to end up not going that far because you ain't going to do all that effort just to walk back in the dark. And then if you do go there, you're going to be sitting there thinking, well, geez, if I leave now, I can make it to the truck before it's dark and, and that kind of thing. Where you want to be on edge for that whole time, ready, willing, and able, and watching. You want to believe in what you're doing, and you want to see if that deer is moving. You want to be listening for sounds. Not daydreaming about what's going on at work or the argument you had with your wife or whatever. You you want to stay in touch with what's going on. And that takes confidence. And the problem with that is you can't buy confidence. I think the only way you can achieve confidence is there's two ways. One, you got to kill some big bucks to, to believe you can do it. If that's your goal is big bucks. For me, that's what it's all about. Um, not for everybody. But if, if your goal is to kill big bucks, you have to believe you can do it. In order to believe you can do it, you have to kill a few. Otherwise, it's in the back of your mind, you're always questioning yourself. So that's a big thing on confidence. The other thing with confidence is you can earn confidence by doing a lot of scouting and really believing your spots. And uh, one thing that, that I'm reminded of is a story you said earlier, how you scouted that one spot with your friend, and you were like, I'm going to kill a buck here. Well, that's where you're getting that confidence from. You believed in that spot from what you saw. Where if a guy's just going out there and randomly sitting on a tree on a ridge... He's not going to have much confidence. You know, if you're going out there, you're scouting, and then you're hunting for a reason. You're, you're thinking, okay, I think a buck's going to come through here because of this. Because I've seen this. I've scouted that. Uh, this is what I saw. I believe this buck's going to come through here if he's in this area. Then you get the confidence to believe he's going to, and you'll sit a little longer. You'll, you'll stay in tune. You'll stay um, focused. If you're not focused, and you're daydreaming or something, they're going to catch you moving, or... All of a sudden, you're going to look up and there's a buck there and it's going to catch you by surprise and your adrenaline's going to take off. You're not going to be able to make the shot or he's going to catch you doing something. Or, You know, one thing about those bucks is when they get into that kill zone, mature bucks are very acute at picking you off. Not like other deer, not like when does and stuff come through, filtering through, they don't notice you. And so when those big bucks get around you, they have a knack for figuring out you're there, especially on the public land and stuff. A deer doesn't get to be five or six years old on public land anywhere in North America without having a few arrows launched at it. You know, just about every one I get has an arrowhead in the shoulder or bullet in its butt or, you know. Really? When you skin them out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're pretty whacked up. At least up here they are. <laughs> that, yeah, that brings on a whole new a whole new concept of gun shy there. You know, you just, you just take any November Saturday and take a walk around in the woods at, you know, 3 in the afternoon here. And you can't walk 10 minutes without walking under two hunters. You know, people whistling at you, waving at you all over the place. How does a buck do that? Those mature bucks that are out there have to know better than to walk around like that, you know? Sure, sure. Seems like every year, I don't know if every hunter has this or not, but it seems like every year I have one of those bonehead moves where it's just like, you idiot, you knew better. <laughs> um, but I had actually, so I had hunted, I'd hunted one location, kind of like what we were talking about earlier, I would hunted one location that morning, um, and I think probably by nine o'clock, I just, I, I just didn't feel right about the spot for whatever reason. I just decided it wasn't good. So I just, I came down, packed my stuff up and I went for a walk. Um, and I found, uh, uh, an active, uh, white oak that was dropping a lot of feed sign around it. 
was a, a good place to get set up and I had a, a pretty good idea um, that I was close to uh, some bedding areas actually the bedding is adjacent to the to the property line so I, I didn't have a chance to scout it but it was just one of those where it just it felt right um, climbed up in the tree probably around 11 o'clock that that morning and I sat there until dark and it was just about to that time where okay I, it's it's going to be dark before I you know anything's going to get a chance to to get within range because you know I'm talking twenty yards or less. So uh, I I hung my bow up and I was actually getting ready to start collecting my gear, um, and I looked up and sure enough, about forty yards out, I caught I could just see the the white in the, in the buck's face mask, and I went crap. Well, uh, now what am I going to do? And the way I was sitting, I knew I could pivot slowly um, and actually get a shot to my right. Um, and he was walking; he would he would have come right past me. But to do that, I had to actually move the camera, the camera arm that was above me. And I reached up as slowly as I could. And as soon as I moved that camera arm, he zoned in right on me and never got within. I think he probably got as close as 40 yards and that was it. And it was a very small movement, but it was kind of like you're talking about once they're in that, they know their core area when they're, they know where they, they go day in and day out and one little thing out of the ordinary, they're just not going to tolerate it. Um, I don't know if I'd yeah. been standing up and perfectly still if I'd ever got a shot or not, but I like telling myself I would. <laughs> You know, part of that is, too, I mean, you, most of our uh, shooting is right before dark or first hour in the morning, and I'll do my scouting during the day, and if I get in the tree from 11 on, and if I don't really believe I'm going to kill something, by the time that darkness comes, you start fidgeting and stuff. You start not paying attention or thinking about leaving early because, you, you know, they're not going to get to you by dark or, or whatever, mm-hmm. and that's where that stuff happens. They're good. They're good lessons, though. Because you, oh, yeah. you definitely oh, remember yeah. them. <laughs> you definitely yeah. remember them. And, 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 you know, I don't think everybody has that. I think a lot of people come out of the woods and go, oh, I got busted. You know, I moved a little. And they don't even try to analyze it. But for me, I'm analyzing everything. I don't think anything a whitetail does by accident. Uh, at least a mature one. So I'm analyzing everything. What went wrong? Was it me? Was it something the deer did? Was it the, the terrain? Was it, you know, the way the thermals work? Or why did this deer do what it did and why why did i get busted you know and, and then the same thing when i'm successful you know what went right here you know so i'll tell you what i did um i was actually hunting that that same area the full weekend um middle of the day the next day i went right back to that same spot went to exactly where i first saw um the buck from my stand Tried to f- tried as best I could to figure out exactly which way he approached from, and I'm pretty confident I know which way he approached from. And I actually, I have a, an ambush spot picked out for this fall because um, I'm I'm unless a car hit him, I'm 100 percent sure he survived. I will be headed back. Our turkey season ends. Um, actually, I think it just ended. Uh, I'm not a turkey hunter. I never have cared much for mm. it, but. Um, once turkey season ends, I try to stay out of the woods as much as I can when people are turkey hunting. There's just a, you know, I wouldn't want them, somebody busting through the woods while I was turkey hunting. So, um, but I'll actually put my, my scouting back in high gear starting, um, 
probably next weekend. Um, and that's one of the areas that I plan to go back and try to try to analyze a little bit better because it's it's deeply etched into my mind how bad I screwed up. Um, and that's that's the I guess we're we're kind of getting up on the end here where we need to wrap this up. Down, I need to let you go. I've tied you up long enough, but I was going to ask you that question. So you you were talking about earlier that you know it's it's pretty common knowledge the area that you hunt. You've put out all you know so many videos and so forth, and you know the YouTube stuff. Um, you probably encounter people regularly during hunting season. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about off season when you're out scouting? Do you typically run across a lot of people or are you pretty much out there by yourself when you're doing your, your scouting throughout the summer? Uh, yeah, I'm usually by myself. I usually don't see many people scouting. Um, I, you know, occasionally you see tracks and stuff, but not too often do I run into people. Yeah. And that's to say, I, I, I was just curious. It's, it's kind of the same way here. And I don't, I don't run into that many people, um, during bow season, um, which I bow hunt year round. So I'm, you know, I'm, I run into people more when I'm out, uh, hunting during gun season. Uh, but I do run into, you know, I encounter people, I run into people that are parked and so forth, but I can tell you once Turkey season here ends, I've, I've got the woods a hundred percent to myself. Um, I've spent, you know, full weekends and, and afternoons out and I'll, I, I just never run into If I do run into somebody, they're, they're, you know, taking a, a trail or an old path through the woods to get to a, a trout spot that they know about or something like that. It's, 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 I know there are people out doing some scouting. I just, I don't think there's, I just don't think there's a lot of it going on. I think most people either hunt the spots that they, that have been successful for them in the past or, um, I do know some people that are, are very effective at, at scouting as they hunt. Um, I've done some of it, but I'm much more comfortable getting out and scouting and, and knowing what's changed from, from last year and, and looking for new spots and reanalyzing things that went wrong the previous season. Um, and I think if, if more people did that kind of stuff, it would, they'd definitely be a lot more successful, um, I don't know. Maybe they're maybe they're maybe they'd rather do the barbecue thing and the uh, beer by the by the the, the the TV while they're watching football. That's just not for me. So I'm lucky I don't have those distractions. You know, I get a lot of people that uh, raise an eyebrow when I tell them, you know, the the formula for it is three times scouting for one time hunting. You know, um, th- you should have three times more scouting than you do hunting. You know, year round you should be scouting um, if you really want to put deer on the table i mean so if you hunt 10 days you should be hunting or you should be scouting 30 and it's really not that hard to accomplish if you can find 10 days to hunt you can't find 30 days a whole rest of the year to scout you know but uh three times to, to one i think is the formula that works for me how hot does it get where you live this time of year dan all right now milder. oh yeah i mean uh, the the highs we've been having uh is you know we're starting to approach uh, 70 on a good hot day. Oh, no. We're already in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. so that's, that's why I, I did think it was a bit milder. I know I'll be uh, – I'm, I'm headed up to Michigan uh, the week of Father's Day, so not next week but the, the following week. There's a big um, traditional bow hunters rendezvous uh, that's held up in Michigan every year. 
uh, we'll be doing a, I'll be doing a booth up there and I'm actually doing a live recording <clears throat> as like a, a breakout session. And my daughter actually got a, a, a scholarship from, from this organization, Compton's traditional bow hunter. So, uh, we'll be up there for that. Really? Um, and I, and I know when we go up there every year, it's, you know, it can be in the eighties and everybody's running around complaining about how hot it is. And I'm like, y'all need to follow me back home. And you got, you know, 95, 100 degrees with, with 90% humidity. Um, but still, I, I can imagine August sloshing around in, in knee-deep mud in the swamps is not much fun either, is it? Uh, yeah, not really. Um, but what we do have going for us is we don't have the snakes, you know. So we don't have to worry yeah. so much about getting bit or something or stepping on a gator or a boar or something. So uh, I can get out there in the dark and wander around in the muck and water and stuff and not worry about any of that. We don't have that much of that. That I shouldn't say we – so I, I don't have to worry about gators, uh, and I don't do a lot of, of hunting in swamps here. We just – the areas that I hunt, we don't have them. I, I hunt in South Carolina for hogs uh, at least once every year usually, and, and you know there is there are gators where we're hunting there. But, you know – most of what we have are copperheads, and they won't know part of you. Um, you very rarely encounter one that's, you know, a, a dangerous situation. We do have timber rattlers, but they're the same way. They just they just want to get away from you. Um, now, south, you know, south of Atlanta, you'd get into the the water moccasins areas, and those things are just mean. They'll 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 come after you. <laughs> they, they're a bit more aggressive than <laughs> than what we typically have to mess with, but. Um, yeah, uh, if, if, if we had the swamps here to stomp through, you would definitely have to be more cognizant of snakes than, than what you would up there. Um, but like I said, I don't, I don't have that scenario. So the worst thing I have to worry about are, are yellow jackets. Um, you can get into a nest of those things. <laughs> you and know, if you uh, have an allergy and you're two miles into the woods, you're in trouble. Earlier, you're talking about my, uh, critter catching and, uh, my ma used to always say the only reason I'm alive is because we didn't grow up in bear territory or snake territory. Because <laughs> I'd chase everything down and catch it. Uh, we went on a wild boar hunt one time and I roped one. I, uh, uh, it was it was actually a preserve. It was actually a preserve, a 400 acre preserve, and we were just going up there to shoot some bacon and take it home. But uh, we like to go in there with the, the bows and chase these things around. It was it was fun. But uh, I got my boar and. Uh, all these other pigs were trying to come in and, and eat it. So I took my my uh, rope to climb up to pull your bow up, and I made a noose right next to the boar. And I had a guy film it. It's, it's at the end of one of those videos we <laughs> are talking about. And uh, I waited till a boar stepped in there, and I pulled this thing tight. And this, this, this guy, guy filming me, there's three guys with me, and uh, I didn't really know know any of them too well. But the one guy filming I knew, knew okay, but uh, you could just see the look on their face when I got that thing roped. And I, it was all fun and Danny until I was pulling this thing in and I realized, man, this ain't really the brightest thing. <laughs> but I, was, I was committed. I'm not going to be a wuss on film, right? So <laughs> I, got, I got that thing to me and I got him flipped over. I got him uh, by his feet, picked him up for the camera and, uh, and released him. I mean, but granted, it was a small bore, but it could have it done some damage. But uh, that was the biggest thing I ever caught. I'll have to I'll have to find it and share a picture of it the um, the piece of property that we've that we've hunted me and and a lot of my I've actually learned met quite a few friends on this piece of property over the years but uh, he shot one um, 
with a longbow. This is it, the, the hunting on this property up until the last year was always uh, traditional gear only, 3,000 acres roughly. And um, he shot a boar, uh, I guess it's been four or five years ago. Um, and it took five guys to pick this thing up and get it into the bed of his pickup. And when they went to weigh it, the the little front end loader that they used to they put the scales on it and used the bucket to try to pick the thing up off the ground and the back wheels came up off the ground on the, they couldn't get an accurate weight on it um <laughs> it was an absolute monster uh so yeah you wouldn't want to rope one of those um no no and that's on one of the videos that i have i gotta i don't think i've seen that i, I need to oh, i don't think it's on one of those i think it's on one of the youtube ones the free ones oh okay okay yeah i've definitely not gotten through all of the youtube videos but i thought i've, I've watched all the ones that that you put on dvd and i didn't remember that so yeah i'll have to go find that uh you managed to get yourself into some pretty humorous situations dan uh, <laughs> and i can just i can <laughs> the bad part is i know exactly what you're talking about i can just picture what was going through your mind when it hits you that you know this might not be the smartest thing but I can't, i'm committed i can't i can't it all seemed funny now. until it worked <laughs> right. uh, well i'm glad it all turned out right and the, the, the pig didn't get the best of you well dad I, I i really do appreciate the time i think we're uh we've exceeded i was planning on about an hour and a half and i think we've gone over that so I don't want to keep you tied up any longer. I really appreciate you coming on the show. I think it's been a, a absolute fantastic conversation. Yeah, no problem. Anytime you want something to talk about. Well, we'll we might find a way to to get you back on here. Maybe I'll maybe I'll be up in the in your area in your area or neck of the woods sometime for something. We can, I'd love to shake your hand at some point. Or if you ever decide you do want to come down here and, and brave the snakes and the gators and so forth, you've got an open invitation to come hunt Georgia with me. All right. <laughs> you, just, you might not have enough <laughs> You might not have enough hot weather hunting gear, but I think you, your Crocs would probably be fine. Yeah, I'd just have to wear, wear my uh, swimming shorts or something. <laughs> All right, man. Well, you take care, and uh, again, I appreciate your time coming on here. Thank you so much. It's been a great conversation, and uh, we'll figure out a we'll figure out a good reason to get you on here again. Uh, if I don't talk to you again before uh, the fall season rolls around, I wish you all the best this fall, man. Thanks, Steve. All right, take care, and to everyone listening, thank you so much, and be sure to get out there and enjoy our outdoors. Until next time, take care, all. <laughs>